I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared creates collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. You know, I think one of the privileges of doing uh, a podcast like this and being able to interview so many different people is this opportunity that I have to step into other people's lives, not only their films, not only their stories and their books and their essays and the things that they do, but also just getting to know them a little bit. But it's also incredibly frustrating. Our next guest uh, is Steve James. He's a world-class uh, filmmaker, documentarian. Uh, you need to find out what Roger Ebert has to say uh, about Steve. But we are talking today about his new film, Abacus, and the subtitle of the film is Small Enough to Jail. I hope I have your interest already, not only about the interview, but more importantly about the film, which is opening up in Toronto in the very near future. So uh, it's playing in early June uh, for at least a week to 10 days, and I'm pretty sure it's playing at Hot Docs. Abacus, Small Enough to Jail. Fascinating story, fascinating film about uh, the financial crisis. It's a film about um, legal uh, and criminal reform uh, in, in, in our justice system, in, in, in frankly, in the West. It's about the two, uh, 2008 financial crisis it's about the little things it's about narrative it's about story it's about it's about empathy it's about stepping into other people's lives and and seeing how uh, they are in fact making a difference here and there it's also about it's a wonderful life and you're going to need to find out why and doesn't everything come back to george bailey really in the end so uh, please do stay tuned and don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my my podcasting coming up on 300 interviews uh, and also special guest for that and and also about my speaking and my writing and don't forget rabble.ca as well and if you want to support what i'm doing and help me keep face to face on the air you can do that through patreon.com stay tuned don't touch that dial steve james coming right up talking about abacus uh, his new film abacus small enough to jail well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by another very special guest here today with us, a documentarian, a filmmaker, somebody that you probably heard of before, uh, and one of, I think, Roger Ebert's favorite uh, documentarians. Steve James is here with us today to talk about his film, 
Abacus, Small Enough to Jail, uh, premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival this past fall. Steve, thanks for taking the time today to chat with us. Uh, great to be here. So, It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, how many interviews have started talking about It's a Wonderful Life in relationship to your film? <laughs> to this film? Yeah. <laughs> well, or, or how about to all your films? Well, this I, is, I think this is the first. Um, okay with this film. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been interesting because I think a lot of people have been very intrigued by that connection. It's a wonderful um, connection, by the way, on so know. many levels. My wife and I watch it every Christmas. And honestly, I see new things every year. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty great film. Well, there's, a, there's this beautiful quote here, because I, I, I do want to talk about that a little bit, um, from uh, RogerEbert.com, a review uh, by uh, Brian Tallarico. James, quote, in particular, has an amazing ability to capture entire communities by focusing on a few people within them, close quote. That's all. I mean, there's lots we can take from it. And what a wonderful thing, A, to say about not only your, your, your history and your filmmaking and your approach and your storytelling, but isn't that kind of what it's really all about in a sense? Well, it is a very nice thing for him to have written. I, it, it is kind of about that for me. I've always, um, I've always approached... Um, storytelling by from the vantage point of wanting to follow individuals people mm, mm. and that I, I don't tend to come to films um, often a, as an issue I want to explore but more I'm intrigued by um, a situation or or that people find themselves in or or crossroads and and then inevitably I think that I've realized this about myself is is the people that fascinate me the most over the years are people whose lives do indeed have something larger to say about the world we live in, but but it doesn't have to be strained at to make that point. It it sort of comes out of their very stories. Is it about is it about in a sense the the uh, the little things making a big difference in a sense? Well, if you're talking about this story, um, you know, I think this is a story about. Um, you know, a little bank that actually made a big difference in their right. community. Right. Um, but that to, to the outside world, outside of Chinatown, they were virtually unheard of and no one seemed to care. Um, I mean, even when Abacus was indicted and the DA of New York, Cyrus Vance, you know, in his big indictment where, you know, he created something of a spectacle by chaining together all these <clears throat> mostly ex-employees and it's quite, abacus. quite remarkable footage, too, right. in, a, in, a, you know, in, a, in a, such a tragic way, really. Yeah, and marching them down the hallway yeah. for the cameras, you know, he he made a big show of saying that, that this is the kind of fraud that, that led to the 2008 mortgage crisis, which was a ludicrous claim. Um, but what was striking about that, one of the things that was striking about that to me was is that that, that did get the attention of the mainstream media. Right. And it, it got in the New York Times and other places, and then nothing. Everyone left that story as if, to, uh, presumably, it didn't matter enough to, to report on. And I think the very fact that it was a small community bank that was being singled out as, a, as part of the 2008 crisis when it was 
patently false made it an important story to be told. Yeah, you actually, I'm pretty sure I heard you in an interview, it might have been around the uh, TIFF time or even recently, where you said it's, it's a, you know, somebody asked you why, you know, why, you know, often I would imagine you get this question, what do you, you know, why are you drawn to a story and so on? But you said it's, well, first of all, it's a great story, but, but it's an important story. Yeah, it's absolutely an important story. <clears throat> you know, and I think that, you know, again, I think because Abacus was a small, unheard of bank, it's the 2,651st largest bank in the United States. So, <laughs> you know, we, we put so that in the film. Line. Um, it, I think that, and, and because the fraud that was going on there was so low level and mm. really didn't amount to much uh, in, in any kind of grand scheme of the things, I think people, I don't know, I'm just assuming that there was an, that, that people assumed that, well, they're small, they don't really matter, and they're probably guilty, or why would there be 19 people being, you know, paraded down the hall? Well, isn't there a tragedy, too, to that sense of, you know, let's say somebody saw that image on on the <laughs> uh, on the news, and then you cut to, you know, you're making a documentary about this family, and they're now talking around dinner, or they're at a party, oh, hey, did you guys see that image? Did you see that report on that bank that finally went down? Yeah. You know? And there's a sense in which it's sort of, it, it, it kind of levels things, I suppose, in a way. And it, it, is, the, is, that, is that the injustice of it, in a sense, for you? Or I mean, I'm well, sure it's I, quite I, layered, I would, I would think. Yeah, I think the injustice happens on a num- number of levels. I think one, one is certainly that, that in this country too often is to be indicted is to be assumed to be guilty. Right, right. And, yeah, that's good. And, and, in, and in a lot of cases, that may be the last you hear of someone being... Right. Uh, you know, indicted, and then you never really hear the outcome. Something like 98% of uh, the people or institutions indicted in this country uh, eventually plead guilty and don't go to trial. And that tells you something, because I am certain that 98% of the people charged are not guilty, you know, they're not, they're not all guilty. And what that means is that there are a lot of innocent people who are just pleading out instead mm. of facing the prospects of a trial, <clears throat> which they in all likelihood probably can't afford and which they fear that if they lose, they'll just get a worse sentence. Right. So you have a lot of innocent people pleading out. And I think in this case, hmm. the DA's office was probably assuming that Abacus would eventually cop to a plea and avoid going to trial because of the sheer expense of it and the possible public embarrassment of it. And in that respect, they... they figured exactly wrong with the with the songs because the songs believed in their innocence and they were not going to go quietly into the night and they were going to fight for it in their kind of almost reserved conservative way yes they are very um they're very close-knit family a very humble family i mean mr sung the patriarch who started the bank in 1985 I mean, he really is a kind of elder version of Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful mm-hmm. Life. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's very tall and lean, and he has a prideful prideful bearing, and he's a in, you know a very principled man, and something of a stoic. And and I think that um, you know when I met this family when I st- when we started to make the film, I didn't know if they were truly innocent or not, and I I kind of you know, arrived at a judgment fairly early on mm, from just being around them that I, I couldn't conceive of them um, being guilty, not just based on the facts as they were, but based on their character and and the and how hurt they were to right. be charged with this crime, uh, a family that took such enormous 
pride in doing the right thing and and giving back to their community to be charged with this was just something they they never expected would happen to them. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting what you were talking about, you know, Steve about injustice and, and near the end of the film. So let's bookend it here. So at the beginning of the film, I think Thomas says something to the fact of you know in reality life is not quite as simple as that, right? And he's yeah. I think he's referring to kind of the. Jimmy Stewart. The, the the way it all plays out, exactly. Right. It's 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 a wonderful life, but that comes with a few footnotes. Yeah. But but at the end of the film, one of the lawyers, and I can't remember his last name, but Kevin is you're you've you've got quite I think quite a tight close up on him, and he says, Well, either you're a felon or you're not. That's right. Yeah, because I mean, it's 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 really not quite that clear cut. Yeah. Well yeah, because he's talking about as as the case goes before the jury, uh there's there's many, many counts against them that the jury will have to weigh in on and you know it's it's not like a football game where if you win on 79 counts and lose on one then you've won that's not the way it works you know as he says if you're convicted on one count a felon is a felon Mm. and you know and of course that uh, that's not something that's lost on the prosecution right in cases like this which is one of the reasons i think why they throw a lot of counts at you know at a defendant because they don't need to win the majority of the counts to be victorious they just need to win one so when you when you went into this did you have the sense of i want to make a film about the the greater crisis um the greater financial crisis i guess if you will as if a way to I don't know to sort of I don't know to give back to the community, the global community, to say, hey, well, hang on a minute here. There, there were there were a lot of different kinds of casualties. Well, I think that um, you know it's it's funny because some people remarked that that um, you know this is a film about David and Goliath, and mm. and in this version of the story, David is a bank actually. Right. Um, you know, I, I think that you know I, I think of this story as you know. Yes, I think of this story as a reminder of what happened in 2008 and what didn't happen. Right, right. Meaning, or more importantly, almost the yeah. lack of the lack of justice brought to bear on the big banks. Um, but I also think of it as a film that's very much about what um, banking should be more about and seems to be less about these days, which is about the community right. uh, that they serve, and less about shareholders getting maximum profit, uh, you know, which is what goes on with the big banks. And that's where the Jimmy Stewart wonderful life analogy, you know, fits most aptly into this story is is that the thing that George Bailey, um, you know, in It's a Wonderful Life took a whole film to realize was is that he really was doing something profoundly important for his community by um, carrying on the savings and loan in that in that you know in Bedford Falls, <laughs> and uh, where he parts company with Mr. Sung of Abacus is is that that's that was the very reason Mr. Sung chose to open the bank to begin with right. is that he wanted to serve that community and so he had a sense of his place and role in that community that he took enormous pride in. Yeah. And so he, when he... this case came along, I mean you know. Just how devast- how much more devastating could it be to be accused of of being like the big banks and taking advantage of the system and taking advantage of people? 
It's a to me the film is. By the way, congratulations! It's a remarkable film, and 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 you're right. It's great and an important story uh, on so many levels. And I, I hope I hope everybody gets to see it. I hope so too. Um, what's what's kind of beautiful for me, or a reminder to me, is and I'm 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 horrible. I li- I live my life by the to do list. I'm I'm so not present. I'm always you know what's next. You know, and my kids have helped me with that. My wife Elizabeth has helped me. With that. Um, to me, it's a reminder of you know. There's probably a lot of us, in fact, if not all of us, are doing these wonderful acts of, um, can, can you say they're acts of kindness or giving back to our communities in ways that we don't even imagine? You know, here's George Bailey, who makes this decision, who doesn't want to make this decision, who doesn't want to go into this, and yet ends up giving back to all these lives, building this community. Bedford Falls would have been this way, or it could have been that way. Right. Right. And and I think it's that's a remarkable thing. There's something profoundly, um, I don't know, redemptive about just you know being a human being and 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 taking care of others. Yeah, and I I agree with that. And I think that one of the things that um, the Sungs realized after they were charged with this crime and 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 then set about to fight it uh, tooth and nail was that, that what they were going through was about more than just them and their bank. Mm. That the fight that they were fighting was really on behalf of their community. Um, and on behalf of, you know, the little guy, you know, right. that were kind of everywhere uh, facing, you know, the Goliath of the justice system. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why they were agreeable to be filmed uh, not knowing where this was all leading, not knowing what the outcome was going to be. You know, they didn't, they didn't say we, we agree to be in this film if, if it turns out to be an innocent verdict. That, that, there wasn't, that wasn't the, the, the ground rules at all. They recognized that um, regardless of how this turns out for them, that it was an important story to be told and that it wasn't going to change their belief in, in, you know, in their own innocence. I think, you know, there's a, there's some profound insights for me uh, in the story, uh, in the film, and the way it, it plays out. And one in particular, the judge, um, and help me out here with the language, but the judge says, before you know, before you head into, you know, uh, the, to the jury, he's, he's speaking, you know, only look at the evidence in this case. Don't, don't look at this like this is some sort of, you know, gavel that's got to fall on the whole system. Right. This is just the evidence. In the, I mean, is that, is that ever possible? You know, I mean, I think it's a real interesting comment on the bias that we all take. Yeah, well, that you know? judge that judge was really impressive. I mean, huh. we, we, we got to talk a little bit to him in and around during the jury deliberations. And, uh, and he and, and the Sungs would tell you that they, they thought he was an impressive judge in the way he, he handled the trial. And I think you're right. I mean, I think what he, what he recognized was is that there was such... Uh, a residue of of anger and resentment towards the way this went down with the big banks that he he feared as a as a judge um, that the jury would in fact be thinking of the big banks as they went into their deliberations and you know what he was right because there mm-hmm. was one juror and it's not the juror Jessica who appears in the film we wanted to be clear about that but there was there was a juror um who absolutely felt strongly that way uh, that 
someone needed to pay for what right. the big banks had done. Doesn't that matter is, if they're guilty. We need what was the line? We need to make a broad. We have a broader responsibility to make an example or something. something yeah, along those yeah, lines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know that that juror heard the judge admonish them to not do that, and then <laughs> turned around and did that. <laughs> right. So. So how do you stay, or maybe you don't, I don't know, I don't know you well enough at all. We've spent all of, what, 20 minutes on the phone here, but how, how, how do you not become deeply cynical about the system, <laughs> about this whole notion of, you know, how can you even talk about justice? You know, if it comes down to these types of subtleties and nuances, yeah. you know, I mean, really, you know, cause, cause to me as well, this film in, in its own, own kind of nuanced way, it, it, we've got to talk about criminal reform here. Yes. Well, I or le- sorry, legal reform, not criminal reform. Yeah, I, but legal reform. I I am I am not a cynical person anymore by nature. I, hmm. When I was much younger, I was definitely more cynical uh, in in my own sort of personal way. Is that experience or alcohol that's had that? Impact? <laughs> What's uh, yeah? <laughs> I think that um, you know I like to think I've grown a little bit, but um, <laughs> right. But alcohol helps. If that's that's right. Yes, it's those shots of vodka. Yeah, yes. yeah. But but while I'm while I'm not personally so cynical, I think and I think a lot of that is actually, in all seriousness, due to having made documentary films and met so many remarkable, resilient people uh, over the years in making these films. I think that's had a big impact on me. Mm. Uh, but I am I am pretty cynical about um, the state of the justice system and and the sort of you know the power uh and the way power is wielded in this country i am i am pretty cynical about that so i believe there are good people there are lots of good people and there are a lot of good people putting up the good fight and there are even people within you know power who are laudable and fighting the good fight but it's a tall order and the the deck does tend to be stacked mm-hmm. too much against good people so if you're a fan of the series The Wire, as mm. I am, um, that's that's kind of what one of the things that made The Wire such a remarkable series, which was it took on these institutions and looked right. at them with a very jaundiced eye, but it did find good people within those systems who were endeavoring, tilting at windmills, <laughs> right. trying trying to do the right thing. Well, all the more reason why we need the the, the Thomases and the Georges of the world to to kind of in their own way, whether it's intentional or not, to fight back. Yes, absolutely. You know, the, the splash, and, I mean, I, part, of, part of what I want to do with, you know, my podcasting, my teaching, whatever it is I do, is just to say, you, you are making a difference. The question is, is it good for good or for ill, you know? And let's just maybe turn the heat up a little bit and, 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 and all move forward together. I mean, there, there is reason to be hopeful, you know? It seems to me, anyway. Well, uh there's, I think, uh, it depends on what day you're talking. But, <laughs> but I right. think I, I, I do think there are days Agreed. where it, where I'm hopeful, and then there are days where I'm not. But but there's always uh, reason to keep trying. Can that, you, that never wavers. Can, can we get? Can we get? To, who who said that if you want to rob people, uh, don't steal? Or if you want to steal from people, don't rob a bank. Just open one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure who that was, but probably probably Mark Twain. And if it wasn't, we can, we can just say it was Mark Twain. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm, uh, t- you you seem to think that otherwise, though. The 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 this the this family 
seems to well, believe I otherwise. Well, I think, again, you I know? think... Let's yeah, start with, I, we want to give back to the community. Yeah. What is, he said, he actually said something, I think, Thomas, during the beginning of the film about this, this is an honorable thing, taking, taking people's money, you know, we're entrusted with their funds. This is, you know, this is something we can do for society. Absolutely. Well, Thomas Sung saw need. He lived in Chinatown at that time. He was a successful lawyer. Um, he had a perfectly good career going, but when he went to a bank and wanted to borrow money, um, they weren't too interested in lending right. money. Right. And this is a successful right. man. <clears throat> and that's what got him thinking. Mm. It's sort of like, if I can't borrow money in Chinatown from my bank, what about all these other folks who, who are um, struggling to get by or uh, you know, who aren't professionals like myself? Uh, so that's what, that's what spawned the idea is, is that, you know, I could continue to practice law or I could do something that I think, and, and even in his practicing of law, he was giving back to his community, but he decided a more potent way to do that, um, was to open a bank for his community. And, you know, the evidence of his success was you just have to walk around Chinatown with Thomas Sung and you see. Oh, it's remarkable. It's just so it's a wonderful life. It's, it's yeah. crazy. You know, it takes, takes me back to the end scene of the, of the film and so on. The, yeah, I mean, clearly this family believed in, in a home and not just, you know, the, the, the object of the house. I'm not, I'm not opening a bank to give loans so people can buy houses. No, I'm doing that so they can go and create, you know, families and homes. And, and build something from the ground up. It's really, really quite remarkable. We're going to have to wrap it up here in a couple of minutes, but I wanted to ask you a couple more questions if, you, if you've got a second here. Sure. Um, the, the, one of the images for the film, in fact, might, might be on the poster, the safety deposit boxes yeah. with some of the family. I mean, clearly intentional. Can you, can you unpack that a little? I mean, I'd love to unpack it, but can you unpack it a little bit for me? Because it's a remarkable photo. Yeah, well, at one point early in the film, Mr. Sung took us to the basement of the Abacus branch uh, where his office is and showed us the 8,000 safety deposit (laughs) boxes in in the basement. Wow. Uh, You know, which was remarkable. Yeah. And of course, we, you know, it's it's visually striking and we, we filmed him down there and then we photographed him down there and that's the image that ultimately became the poster for the film. But, you know, what it said about their commitment to the community was was amazing, which is, you know, for immigrants coming to this country, you know, I think we tend to forget a, a, the safety box seems like a relic of the past for many of us mm. or, or something you see in movies, you know, caper movies, and that's about it. Right. <clears throat> but in, in a place like Chinatown, those safety deposit boxes are where people kept their money and their valuables and the things that were precious to them, um, you know, that that, that that was the home for those, those very important things to them. And, and the fact that Abacus, you know, had 8,000 boxes at its disposal for the community spoke volumes about that need, but also the bank's place in that community in fulfilling that need. You know, I uh, can we can, so films opening uh, opened premiere was uh, at Toronto International Film Festival back in the fall, but it's opening up in Toronto uh, shortly. We'll put we'll put some uh, information about that on our site. Can can we talk a little bit about what you're doing next? Is that is that a possibility? <coughs> sure, I'm um, I'm in the middle of a of uh, we've shot now, but we're we're smack in the middle of editing a mini series, documentary mini series. Uh, 
I live in uh, Oak Park, which is the first due west suburb of Chicago. It's a historic suburb. Okay, so I just for the record, I live in a suburb called Oak Park. Do you really? <laughs> how, how crazy is that? I, I swear crazy. I'm not making it up. <clears throat> yep. Well, so Oak Park here is <laughs> is a historic suburb. Nice. Frank Lloyd Wright had his Ooh, cool. studio there. He built there some homes there. Um, it's where Ernest Hemingway was born. You live in a way cooler suburb than I do. Yeah, <laughs> although I do not live in a Frank Lloyd Wright house. Right, okay. Let's be clear. Yeah. But um, it in the, in the present, its significance has been that it, it has been, for a number of decades now, an incredibly diverse, progressive community that um, takes enormous pride in all that. And... Uh, it's a place where a lot of people move to when they have children of school age because of the public schools, too. Right. And so, but, and all our kids went through the Oak Park public school system. And, you know, they got a perfectly fine education. But one of the things that has the community <clears throat> has struggled with for literally decades is its inability to close the equity gap in achievement between its black students and its white students. Wow. And I, for years, have wanted to do a film focused on race and on education in a place like Oak Park because it is not a poor public Chicago school <clears throat> in a besieged community, you know, ripped by violence. Oak Park is none of that. And yet, what's going on there, it seems to me, is something very important to be explored. So, so we were able to go in there for a year and film a bunch of students that we followed and their families and teachers. And we are now editing it into a miniseries that's going to be called America to Me, which is lifted hmm. from the <clears throat> Langston Hughes poem, the, uh, the key line of which is, uh, it's a poem about how America has not... Um, been America to so many immigrants and different uh, racial groups in this country. And the key line that we lifted our title from is, America never was America to me. Hmm. Well, uh, to, to bring it back full circle to the to the review on RogerEbert.com, um, the the writer Brian he says, you know, you're 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 somebody who find way you find ways to tell big universal stories by telling small individual ones. And, and I think that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a gift and a really beautiful thing. Um, th thanks for your time today. I re really appreciate it. Uh, Abacus small enough to jail. Uh, um, we've had the director, Steve James chatting with us here today on face to face. Um, Steve, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I hope uh, uh, we can, well, I hope we can talk about America to me in the future. And, <laughs> and, and uh, I, as I said, I hope everybody gets to see this film. Yeah. Thank you so much. I enjoyed talking. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.